Hello, and thank you for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Maryville here in Maryville, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can visit our website to find out more information about our church or to find our full audio archive with all of our messages. So you can find all of that at www.vineyardchurch.us, or you can also subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. We're in a three-part series called Scapegoat. This is part two. Um, so if you weren't here last week, kind of jumping in in the middle, I'll, we'll do a recap, but it might be a little bit, a little bit confusing. So we're gonna, for that reason, if you're a guest, you're certainly going to need to lean in a bit more. And I'm just going to tell you this, um, <clears throat> honesty, right? Safe place. I can be vulnerable. Yeah, you can't. When somebody asks you that, you can't not answer them. <laughs> It's like, all right. Um, so I'm a little concerned. There's, there's a couple kind of abstract concepts in today's message that I'm a little concerned might, might be confusing if I don't say it clearly. So I'm going to do my best, and I want you to do your best um, to pay attention. Here's why. I think the ideas, they are abstract. I think they're really, really important. So I just want to encourage you, nudge you. Um, to lean in as best you can. Okay, let's do a, a bad recap from, from last week, okay? We, we started uh, this series called Scapegoat, um, and we focused in on these idea what we see on the side screen, which is <clears throat> if I sin against you, it creates two problems, two distinct problems uh, for, that I have to deal with. I have to deal with my sin against God, and that's a problem, and I have to deal with my sin against you, and that's a problem. And we have to deal with both of those because I have, I have a problem with God, I've disobeyed him, I have a problem with you because I've harmed you, now I've got a couple problems. Now, um, atonement is a, is a big sort of theological church word, uh, but that's the idea of our sins being dealt with, our sins being taken care of, okay? So if I'm going to be atoned for, uh, for my sin against you, then I have to, the atonement has to address both of those problems, the one with God, the one with you. Um, now, in the Old Testament, um, God set up something called the Day of Atonement, and this is a really big deal. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 16 again, um, so you can follow along, or it'll be on the old Sky Bible behind me there. But um, in the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement was set up by God, where once a year, the high priest, and at, at this point in the story, the high priest is a guy named Aaron, uh, no relation, uh, but the high priest made sacrifices to atone for the sins of all God's people for the previous year. That ceremony had two parts to it, and those two parts are meant to atone for the two problems that we're discussing, our sin against God and our sin against one another. So let me read you this, uh, just to jog your memory from last week, Leviticus chapter 16, verses 17. Next, he, and he is Aaron the high priest here, will take the two goats, so we've got two goats here, And place them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting after Aaron casts lots for the two goats. Basically, he's flipping a coin, and he's flipping a coin to see which of the two goats will be sacrificed on the altar, as in sacrificed, and which one will be the scapegoat, which we'll see in a moment. After Aaron casts lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord, the sacrifice, and the other for an uninhabitable place, he is to present the goat chosen by lot for the Lord and sacrifice it as a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot for an uninhabitable place is to be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement with it by sending it into the wilderness, again, for an uninhabitable place. Now we're going to skip a little bit, verse 20, and we're picking up now after the first sacrifice has been made. The first goat has now been sacrificed on the altar. 
verse 20. When he, Aaron the high priest, has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of the meeting and the altar, and that refers to the first goat, he is to present the live male goat, the other one who won the coin flip. Okay, verse 21. Aaron will lay both of his hands, picture this, the high priest will lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the Israelites' iniquities and rebellious acts, all their sins. He is to put them on the goat's head and send it away into the wilderness by the man appointed for the task. The goat will carry all of their iniquities into a desolate land, and the man will release it there. And that, so the first goat is sacrificed. The second goat is released into the wilderness, and it escapes. That's why we call it the, the scapegoat. All right. So, do you to notice, again, still recapping from last week, but I want you to notice the same sins, the very same sins, that the first goat died for are then placed on the head of the second goat, the scapegoat. So you have to wonder then, all right, why are the same sins atoned for twice? Okay, it's two atonements because we have two problems, all right? And why does one atonement require a death while the other one does not? The goat is released. Now, released out into the wilderness in an uninhabitable place, but it's vanished, it's expelled, it's, it's released, whereas the first one um, is sacrificed. So why does one live and the other one die? Now, the first goat pays the price. And this is sort of a big concept from last week, okay? So try to stick with me here, and it's, it is a confusing one. And when I say confusing, even I'm confusing. Like, I'm confused. There's a, there's an, and I'm confusing sometimes when I don't say things clearly, like just then when I messed up a sentence. Anyway, I talk for a living. Okay, the first goat dies to pay the price for the people's cosmic violation against the ultimate holiness of God, okay? God is the king of glory, sovereign, absolute, perfect, okay? And in some supernatural equation that I admit I cannot quite grasp, but there is a simple truth, and the Bible is very clear about that. If we violate the goodness of God, the penalty for that is death, period. And if you said, Aaron, can you explain that to me? I really can. Be like, I don't know, because the Bible says so, and I believe in the authority of Scripture. I'm not entirely sure why that's the reality, but Scripture is very clear. That's the reality. The penalty for the violation of God's absolute holiness is death, period. And that penalty cannot be ignored. It cannot be looked over. It cannot be excused. It cannot even be forgiven. It has to be paid. And so the first goat dies to pay that price for the sins of God's people against God. Now, I know we're not all Sunday school rats and church kids, but if you are, then you already know this. But this sacrifice of a goat thousands of years ago in the Old Testament, um, all of that is pointing to Jesus. Jesus, who was for us the ultimate and final sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice to atone for all of the sins. You read the Old Testament and you go, why does God even care about the blood of goats and bulls? And the Bible makes it very clear. Jesus, God says it explicitly. I actually don't care at all about the blood of goats and bulls. That's not the point. It's all pointing to Christ, who would be the ultimate sacrifice, the only real atonement for our sins. Okay, So that pointing to Jesus talks about how the sacrificial death atones for and solves problem number one, but remember, our sin creates two problems, and we can't ignore the second problem. So if I sin against you, now last week, I don't know why I kept saying this, but it was if I had punched you in the face, as if I would ever do that, but maybe if you say the wrong thing. Anyway, um, 
I punch you in the face, which means I have sinned against you. And then if I go to you and say, well, I prayed about it and God, forgive me, God forgave me, so you and me, we're all good now. Um, that would not be very smart, and you would not be very happy with me. I'd be like, I, you, I don't care that you prayed in a corner somewhere. We got a problem because you did a horrible thing to me, and we have to take care of it. Okay, so again, um, I've harmed you. That has to be addressed, and that's the second goat, the scapegoat to address the second problem. Um, remember, same sins are placed on the, both of the goats, okay? So the same sins being placed on the scapegoat symbolizes this reality. We all know it. We all live it. The reality is our sins create an enormous amount of collateral damage. When we sin against one another, we harm one another. Relationships are strained. Relationships are lost. Valuable things have been stolen. Essentially, harm on every human level has been done. And it's been done because of our sins against one another. And what that does is it creates a communal angst, you know? Like we live in a broken place where we get let down and we harm one another along the way and it creates angst and tension and anxiety in the community. And those unresolved, undealt with problems, we carry them around everywhere we go. And they affect how we react and move out into the world. And that angst has a tendency to then spread. Does that make sense? I, I, we don't have to look very far to find some real-world examples. Actually, some, some unfortunately very current, current events about a video that's been recently released where angst is released and people respond in angst as a result to it and that anxiety, that fury, it spreads, it spreads. This is human nature. So there's this tension in a community amongst people because of the collateral damage that is what is symbolically placed on the head of the goat. And that goat, the scapegoat, it's not killed. It's banished. It's released. And the reason why the first goat's killed and the other one has a, a different outcome is because it's a different kind of atonement than the first. Because the nature of the offense is different. So when we sin against God, the violation must be paid for. It cannot be looked over. The penalty is death. Okay? But when our sins harm others, and they always do, by the way, if you're telling yourself that it's not harming anyone, I love you, you're dead wrong. Our sins always harm one another, okay? But when we do that, the nature of that violation, it's just different because it's not a cosmic violation of the will of God. It's a violation against peers, essentially. And those tensions, those debts, they can be forgiven. Those debts do not require a death payment, which is why the second goat is not killed. And what I mean by that is, with this sort of institutional communal angst that we have, that we deal with in this world, we can choose to forgive one another. We can choose to absorb the wrong. We can choose to move past the way in which we were harmed or offended. We can choose to work things out to reconcile, to heal and restore the relationship. Okay? It doesn't require a death. Just I'm nervous because I'm nervous, but yeah, is this making sense? Heads can nod if you're with me. Thank you. Thank you. Even if you just did it for me and you have no idea what I'm saying right now, I still appreciate it. Okay, so if you got that, and you do because you nodded your head and you wouldn't lie in church, um, if you got that, then you might be wondering, okay, there are two, two atonements on atonement day through two goats, 
And we said, okay, one of those goats is not actually about the goat. It's all pointing to Jesus because Jesus is the culmination. That's what it's really about. And then you might go, well, what's the culmination for the scapegoat then? How, how, does, how does that end? The first goat uh, gives its life. That points to Jesus. And that points to the Lamb of God who was slain to take away the sins of the world. And that's why we don't still do sacrifices. But Christ was the ultimate sacrifice. But what is the scapegoat pointing to? And because if we don't know that, does that mean are we still supposed to be symbolically placing our communal angst on the head of a random goat and sending it off into the wilderness to deal with, like, how does, what's the culmination of that? So, great question. Um, Hopefully you're still with me. Hopefully you pictured that first scene where the two goats were there before the high priest. Because that scene that we just read about in Leviticus, uh, and the high priest flips a coin and casts lots to decide, all right, this goat's going to live, and this goat's going to die, this one will be sacrificed, this one will be banished. That scene, and this is especially for the church kids in the room, that scene gets repeated in the New Testament. There's, there's, an, there's like another installment of the same story. It gets repeated. This is Matthew chapter 27. Again, if you're a church kid, you know the story, but here's what's happening. Um, the people are furious. There's all this communal angst, and they're putting it on Jesus, and they are demanding Jesus be crucified. And so Jesus is put on trial before uh, his judge, uh, the leader of where they're at, a guy named Pilate, and they're saying, we want you to crucify Jesus. And Pilate thinks it's a bunch of trumped up charges and that he deserves to live and that doesn't seem right. And so he's trying to figure out a way out of this situation because he doesn't want the people to be upset that he didn't crucify Jesus. But he also doesn't want to crucify an innocent man. So what Pilate does is he dials up an old tradition that went like this. One prisoner a year was allowed to be released. Just let go. So he figures this is my way out of this. So he pulls out this notorious tr- prisoner this horrible criminal, his name was Barabbas, well-known as a bad dude, okay? So he pulls out Barabbas, and he puts Barabbas and Jesus before the people, and he says, which one will die, and which one will be released? I hope you nod your heads. Does this sound familiar? Okay, cool. You got it. Okay, cool. All right, so it's the same scene. And the people, and this is the Pilate's utter shock, the people decided that Jesus should be crucified and that Barabbas should be released. And then, interestingly, Pilate washes his hands of the whole affair, just like the high priest washed his hands in Leviticus. So here's the thing. If you're paying attention right now, you might, you might pretty quickly conclude, okay, uh, Jesus is the first atonement for the first problem. He's the first goat. And Barabbas, I guess, is the second goat? He's the scapegoat. Barabbas, the notorious criminal, is the solution to <laughs> our angst against one another. And But that seems like what we're setting it up for, but not so fast. Because the story is repeated. This happens all the time in the Bible. The story is repeated not just to remind us of Atonement Day, which was being reenacted through Jesus, the culmination of it, but also to point out the differences, to highlight the differences in the story, what happens next. Because, let me point out the differences. In the first story in Leviticus, The scapegoat had the sins of the people placed upon its head. That did not happen to Barabbas. And also, and you've been seeing this in this image behind me, this is uh, the artwork of William Holman Hunt, by the way. He's absolutely brilliant, or was. Um, Pardon me, he's passed. Uh, But you see the the red ribbon, um, the scarlet ribbon that's tied to the horns of the scapegoat. Well, that was ceremonially done um, by the ancient Israelites 
to signify the transfer of guilt onto the head of the scapegoat. Well, that didn't happen to Barabbas either, okay? But back to Matthew, back to the Barabbas story. Let me read you a few verses. Verse 26. Then he, and that's Pilate, released Barabbas to them, all right? And after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. All right, so that's the end of the Barabbas story. Now, the very next verse, 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the governor's residence, gathered the whole company around him. They stripped him and dressed him in a what kind of robe? Scarlet robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns, put on his head, and placed a staff in his right hand, and they knelt before him and mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews. When, then they spat on him, took the staff, and kept hitting him on the head. I'll stop. It just gets worse from there. So here's the thing. Remember, the point of the scapegoat was not to deal with the sin against God. It was to deal with the anger and the discord in community that's caused by sin. And after Jesus was condemned to die, as the first goat was, the soldiers then pulled Jesus aside just to vent their rage onto him. They weren't even the offended party. They weren't even the people crying, crucify him. And yet they had this angst, didn't they? This fury, and they start, they just dump it on Jesus. Their thorny anger gets placed right on his head. And then to make it even clearer, they put a scarlet robe on him to signify the transfer of guilt, just like in Leviticus 16, just as the scarlet ribbon was placed on the head of the scapegoat. So what's my point? The point is this. Jesus is the one sacrificed, and he's the scapegoat. He's both. Jesus is the solution to both problems. Jesus' cross atoned for both of the problems caused by our sins. The stuff between us and God, the stuff between us and everybody else had our sin harms. Jesus is both goats. Still with me? Good. Okay. Because now we need to talk about what this means. And, and I think the implications are, honestly, I think they're vast. So I've got time to hit a, a few of them. So lean in and try to pay attention. Okay. Jesus' death paid the price in full for the first problem. The death of Jesus on the cross pays for problem number one, which is your sins and your offense against God because of your sins and my offense against God because of my sins. And listen, it atoned for all of your sins, all of them, all of them, all of them, your past, your present, your future sins, all of them are atoned for by Jesus on the cross, all of them. What we, are, what we owe, essentially, the debt that is put on us, the penalty of death that we place ourselves under when we violate the holiness of God, that has to be paid for. It was paid for in full, on the cross, by Jesus, all of them. Okay? When Jesus said, it is finished, what he meant by that is, it's finished. It's finished it's finished. You look it up in the Greek, it means it's finished. You really study it, it means it's finished. It means it's finished. All of them. Here's what I'm saying, and don't miss it, and don't water it, you dare water it down. If you have accepted the gift from God of his forgiveness, and through, this is what it means to be saved. We talked about this last week. We accept God's forgiveness, we surrender to him as king. If you have done that, then problem number one doesn't exist for you anymore. 
Period. It's finished. It's done. He solved it. It's over. And then you committed some sins after that, and they were atoned for. It was finished. And you're going to commit some sins later. You're going to do your best, but you're going to screw it up. I love you, but I will too. That's what we're going to do. There, you don't have problem number one ever again. Not a whisper of it ever again. There is no wrath in God for you, period. And there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, period. And we should all be very happy about this. And more of you should be smiling because what that means is our salvation is secure. Even when you sin along the way. But if you're getting that, and I know at least that one dude who said amen again, at least he got it. So if nothing else, at least he's with me. Um, if you're getting that, it does raise some questions. You go, hold on a second. Wait a minute. If that's true, then what about this? Okay. And there's a good chance that these are questions that you've wrestled with before. Okay. So questions like this. Okay. If that's the case, all of my sins, past, present, and, and future have been completely atoned for. Problem number one is completely taken care of. There's no issue between me and God now or ever. Okay. Then why is it that we need to continue to bother with things like confession and repentance to God. If problem one is entirely taken care of, why, why would we need to do that? Why would we need to seek forgiveness in any kind of ongoing way when it's all been taken care of once and for all, even our future sins? That's a good question, right? Ever wondered that? Now, the thing is, and this is very, very important, Okay, God is very much involved with problem number two. Okay, so if you're a Christ follower, you've surrendered to him, you don't have problem number one, and you never will again. Period. It's finished. But God is very much involved in problem number two. Problem number two is the collateral damage of sin, the mess that it causes, the people it hurts, the massive damage done. So going back to yesterday or last week's silly illustration where I hypothetically jacked you in the face, right? I hurt you, hypothetically, um, when I did that. But I also hurt God, didn't I? In fact, I hurt him more than I hurt you. You might say, well, how is that possible? I'm the one who got jacked in the face. One simple reason. God loves you more than you love you. God wants you to thrive and be well more than you want you to thrive and be well. God wants you and I to be at peace more than you and I want to be at peace. So when we sin, it hurts people. And that causes a relational issue with them and it creates a relational issue with God. You see it? God's involved in problem number two. Um, just to sort of, okay. That, so now you're punching somebody. Okay, we're switching it. Um, if you punch one of my kids in the face, a lot of punching in these illustrations. It's just, I wish I'd have picked something different, but it's too late now. Uh, if you punch one of them, then you're going to have to deal with me and with them. And I'm betting that you actually have a bigger problem with me than you do with them, because those are my kids. See, problem number two, the relational, the collateral, the interpersonal, it very much includes God, our Father, who is renewing all things. Remember, that's the grand story that we're a part of, the renewal of all things. And when we sin against God, we violate, we go against that story. And God longs to see his people flourish. So, 
Stay with me. Back to me punching you now. This is, this is, where am I? What am I doing? Okay. If I do that, I need to make it right with you, obviously. I have a responsibility to work stuff out and to pursue reconciliation, to heal and restore the relationship. But here's the thing. I also now have the same work to do with God, don't I? Of course I do. But here's the thing. Don't miss this. I don't now have that work to do with God because of my sin against you. I don't have to do that because I lost my salvation when I sinned against you. Do you understand that? I wasn't banished from the kingdom of God. Not at all. We assume that our sin and the need to restore and heal our relationship with God means that we're back to having problem number one. That's not true. If you've solved problem number one or God has through his atonement, it's over. It's finished. Those stakes have been settled once and for all. But does me attacking you create distance between me and God? You bet it does. You bet it does. So in that moment, Look, my salvation remains secure, of course, not banished, but my ongoing fellowship with God is messed up by my sin against you. Just like my ongoing fellowship with you is messed up by my sin against you. So that means I confess my sin to God, I seek forgiveness, I seek restoration in just the same way that I have to confess my sin to you. And seek forgiveness and restoration. The only difference, actually, is that God has already assured me that he will forgive me of all of my sins, no matter what. And I can be certain of that. As for you, I just, I got to hope that you're going to be like Jesus and forgive me too. I hope you're still with me, because here's the point you can't miss. What this means is, when you, as a child of God, are confessing your sin, you are not trying to lock in or secure your salvation. It's not what you're doing. When you sin as a follower of Christ and then you seek forgiveness and confession from God, you're not trying to cling to your salvation lest you lose it. That's not what the stakes are. That stuff's already settled. What you are doing simply is to restore the relationship with God whom you have harmed whenever you have harmed others. Those, the, those confessions, those, th- that repentance is not about salvation. It's about restoring relationship with God. It's about communion with God for each of us as his children. Y'all tracking with me? Ooh, I'm encouraged. Okay. Next idea then. So this understanding of the two problems uh, of Jesus as both the sacrificial lamb and the scapegoat, he's both, That helps us answer another really common question that people have, which is, when they're they're really kind of feeling skeptical and leaning in and going, come on now, what about this? People ask this, well, why did Jesus have to die? Why, Why was that really necessary? Did he have to do that? I mean, was it just a, was it just symbolic? Was it just a demonstration? Why did he have to do that? Couldn't he just forgive sins without demanding payment? Couldn't he just forgive them and not require the death? And and then, here's a follow-up to that. They could go, because you know what? God certainly asks us to forgive each other without demanding payment. Why can't he do that? Why did he have to die on the cross? Forgiveness means to cancel a debt, right? 
Well, if God had to collect the debt through the cross, then really, does he ever actually really forgive anything if the debt's collected? Now, if you follow that train of thought, then you know, those are pretty good questions. Those are good questions. And people are asking questions like that a lot. It's a good question. The scapegoat framework answers that question. The death of Jesus wasn't about satisfying God's rage or his anger or his offense. Do you guys remember that from last week? Picture me with a cookie sheet and a hammer doing something that you're all very upset by and startled by and glad I didn't bring it back. I have him back there. I thought about bringing it back out just to mess with you, but I'm not going to do that again. But remember, that's what we were saying. God is not bringing down the hammer of his rage and his anger against us. Instead, it was about paying the cosmic debt, righting the cosmic wrong that is the violation of the holy. That's the debt that has to be paid in full. And so he paid it for us. It's all love. It's all kindness. But then, problem number two, we have the ongoing offenses of our sins. The breaking of our promises to him again and again, our wrongdoings. And they hurt all of humanity, all of his children, all of his creation. And as we, I think, have made clear, they especially hurt him even more. And they hurt him to a degree that we can't even fathom because we can't fathom how much he loves this creation that we offend and hurt and harm with our sin. But he can fathom it. He absorbs that loss. He cancels that debt. He offers forgiveness for all of those things, for all of us, for all time, against all of his creation without limit. Guys, and this is for church kids again, that's way more than 70 times 7. Way more. The forgiveness that he extends to all of us, the debts that he cancels that we owe far exceeds any forgiveness that he asks us to do. Last week, you might remember again when I was hitting hammers or hammers were hitting things loudly. We asked the question, well, does that mean that God's not angry at sin? Is he not offended by sin? I want to be very clear. God is angry at sin. He is grieved. He is offended. He is hurt by my sin and yours constantly. And yet he forgives that debt constantly. Offering again to all of us for all time the invitation to walk in unity with him, a closeness with him, if only we will confess and repent. When we confess and repent, we're clearing out the dead wood on the trail between us and God. It just clears the path. And that, that payment for the cosmic violation that was made, okay, um, uh, the hurt, the damage, the offense of sin, um, the same things that God says we must forgive, okay, they are infinitely forgiven by God because he's a scapegoat. Problem number one is taken care of. Once we accept God's salvation, that's all done. Now the problem of sin, really simply, I think it's simple. Now the problem of sin is actually about the damage it causes. And God forgives all of that. And that's exactly what he expects us to forgive. It's just that for us, it's about the damage that sin causes us. But for him, it's about all of the damage to all people, to all of his creation, based on the love that he has, which vastly exceeds our own. Here's what I'm saying all this and pointing out the difference here. When God says that you must offer forgiveness, 
in the Bible, ooh, he's very clear about this. Jesus is very clear, uncomfortably direct, where he says, it's actually not optional. You have to forgive. And remember, when we entered into the kingdom of God, we accept God's forgiveness, and we also surrendered to him and pledged our allegiance to him, which means we say yes to whatever he says. And what he says is, you have to forgive. And it's not optional. I just want you to remember that when God says that, uh, that you have to offer forgiveness for the damage that others have caused against you. Remember, he is already forgiving that same person for that same offense only to a much greater degree. God doesn't ask us to do what he refuses to do himself. He is asking us in some tiny measure to follow his example, to forgive the damage done, to move toward reconciliation, and to heal our relationships.